There are birds which are quite silent, birds which give calls, known so faithfully to people of various regions of the world, known to animals and other birds of those same regions. In that bird song, there is an evocative quality. We are called forward to bring our own voice to answer that bird song. The folk song <clears throat> which I spoke of in the introduction written by Sandy Denny in the 1960s commences usually with the words, across the evening sky, all the birds are leaving. <clears throat> but I believe it was originally written and is sung by certain people. Across the morning sky, all the birds are leaving. In the current culture in which we live globally, we might find a young or aged artist come forward to vocalize that beautiful poetic lyric and construe one phrasing or the other phrasing or add another word or take a word away or pause or move in an elegant jazz-toned symbiosis of love for the divine, for the seeking or the quest of the bird song of one's own inner voice in eternity. Who am I? Who are you? Who is one? And the resonance of the song of the bird gives us a listening and an kind of intonation of our internal direction of not only our voice, but our heart, places beyond our mind, but including our mind. Oh, that, that song I heard early this morning of that bird. The note of that one bird my father taught me about when I was a little child. Oh, the cry of that one bird when its mate was gone. And I listened to it alone through that season. Loon, cardinal, heron, hawk, eagle, sparrow. There are certain swans in the far north called mute swans. They're not really without song, but they're often silent. So northern peoples named them for the stillness. The listening of the human being for the song of the bird, which answered back in quietude. The splendor of that beauty, white body, black or ochre-toned beak and legs and feet. The quality of that bird song is the very still point of eternity within us. I've spoken before of an experience of <clears throat> seeing tundra swans. There are several varieties of swans, but seeing tundra swans in the very, very far southwestern corner of Alaska where possibly less than a thousand people lived in a combination of two villages way out in the far west, Good News Bay and Platinum. And <clears throat> the pilot to avoid the cloud cover, flew down very, very low 
40 feet above the earth. The only colleagues flying with us were the tundra swarms. And he turned, noting his surprise that they had not gone south quite yet for winter, but soon. When we are comfortable with peace in our hearts in eternity, we are without violence. We take a breath and the movement of the bird wings of our soul fly through the cells of our body to soar back into the heaven from which we come to embody that grace as a human being. And then what rises up out of us is our voice, the essential philosophy or signature of who one is. And we greet one another, nodding, seeing if we have the gift of sight, using other senses if we are blind, like the great singer Andrea Bocelli and the great poet of antiquity, Homer, and the great woman philosopher of our last century, Helen Keller. Those who are sighted see we, we take in light, we receive light. And just as a bird alights into the sky when it is dawn or in the dusk for certain night birds or owls, we alight with the song of our soul moving through us according to what we've seen. Light moves very quickly. So does the soul. The soul moves every moment in an eternal signature if one is wise enough, humble enough, innocent enough, pure enough in one's dedication to have the courage to represent that light. Ah, the light. The mystery of the light of God as essence moving through you and through me. What shall we do that is of divine nature here, just as the birds of the sky sing and fly and nest? How shall we be? To that we add the sense or dimension of sound, a different frequency from light, so that out of silence, all of a sudden we hear, just as I spoke of the Maharishi, listening all of the dawns of his life, listening as the first light of the day commenced. And he would all of a sudden hear the first bird note. Ah, oh, that bird. And depending on which part of India he was visiting, the country of his youth, or which part of the world he was visiting in his teaching, his practice of meditation and prayer and education and service, the Netherlands, the United States, Canada, Australia. The note would be of a different bird. I imagine he didn't know the names of many of the birds, yet he listened. And each of those birds gave forth a song, like a beautiful <clears throat> line from the Bible, the title of one of the chapters of the Old Testament of Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. 
the song of songs. That which becomes the voice of heaven through the angels, through the birds. Ah, might it be realized through your heart as a human being that your voice becomes as pure as birdsong. And who is that? Who are you? Oh, that signature of heaven, I can hear it. What a voice you have. What a path you walk. Your heart. The bird song of you listening to heaven, moving through every cell of your body as you walk upon this earth. What a life that would be. I pray for that for you. I aspire to that beside you. I practice that to the best of my modest ability in virtue and prayer and life as I am able. Then light and sound start meaning through us and our cells pose the question they're living. If we are in one of the Yupik Eskimo villages, we might ask, do you have enough fish for the winter? How did it go with the men coming back in the boats last night? We might ask the other women as they come forward to meet the men and take the fish from the boats to cut them with our ulus, our, our knives, to dry them, to smoke them, the fish. Not enough salmon this year. So we are listening to a new season upon the earth. What to do? Not, how do I conquer the cells of your body with inadequate song, with darkness because I can't find adequate light, nor receiving from you inadequate song from you because there is not adequate light for you either. Rather, the equation now upon the earth is a mystery. How shall we receive the light and sound of heaven, whatever we name God to be, that as we turn forward to eternity from eternity, we realize in our heart of hearts the song of songs of the Creator, that great one. For an atheist or a secular humanist, the universe how shall we come forward in a cosmic consciousness as ordinary human beings? That we might allow a life to be composed through you and through me, which allows transformation upon the earth, many polar bears leaving, many whales, certain trees burning, certain ones surviving. certain coral reefs falling away, certain seashells and the creatures within them living and finding a manner of the heating of those ocean waters of survival in the light and sound that permeates the cells of their sentient beings' structure as well. Clam, conch, What is this mystery to be realized? 
I would say the humility of eternity and the present moment together. That one's heart becomes a student of that which is holy, the divine. Oh, only that is holy and everything of it turns homeward, seeking to understand that holiness. What I would like as we address <clears throat> light and sound in this way is that we utilize time as a touchstone or a pivoting point. Uh, when we take a top and spin it, a childhood toy or toys that are used in certain cultures for holidays, the dreidel is used in the Jewish tradition at Hanukkah, the period of Hanukkah as we turn toward winter and the solstice and the old miracle of the light staying within the temple. There was an argument between two groups. One group barricaded itself in the temple and the other group remained in the onslaught. And yet <clears throat> the butter or oil of the temple lamp kept burning miraculously even though it shouldn't have, it did. And so what does one light in a Jewish family at Hanukkah? The menorah, this night, and this night, and this night, and this night. So that little children learn somehow heaven kept the light present as a human being lit that wick and put wick and oil together with a flame, it kept burning as an offering, as an offering in this mystery. Last evening, I lit a very small candle. I have a little box of beautiful small candles that were given to me last year by some family from another state. They're just beautiful, very small. They burn for about two hours, maybe three. And they're in little tiny jars that the family made. And I took one out last evening and placed it in a large hurricane uh, vase, which I do often in the evening. And I sometimes blow them out, but usually I light them and let them go out naturally because they go out within a certain brief period of time. If I have a long burning candle, I put it out before we go to bed. My husband is a physician and he's very aware of people being burned and he's tending those wounds. <clears throat> so he doesn't like to go to sleep with the idea that fire is present in the house. So I blow the candle out. We go to sleep. Because these candles are so small, <clears throat> I was aware yesterday that in the tradition of my own family's heritage, it is a Roman Catholic holiday, All Saints Day. So I thought, I will leave the candle burning tonight. It'll be out within an hour. This is maybe one or two in the morning last night as we went to bed. And I got up this morning <clears throat> and tended things for several hours. And I came walking out at about 10.30 or 11 in the morning. And I looked and it was still burning, the tiniest flame possible at the bottom of the wick 
in the light, burning. <coughs> I was aware that what was occurring was not really possible, and yet possible. And then in my eyes, receiving the light of this day, which is called All Souls Day in the Roman Catholic tradition, wherein one is to pray for and remember with deep sentiment and dedication one's ancestors, the ancestors of other human beings, those who have gone heavenward, and especially to intercede in prayer and the goodness of life on that All Souls Day for those who have not made it heavenward yet, those who are already deceased, those who are on the earth now, so that one upholds the possibility of the souls who are confused and conflicted finding their way heavenward. So from All Saints Day to All Souls Day, here was my candle burning. In eternity, in silence, I contemplate with you what is occurring in the light of God. What is occurring in the song of songs of God within us all? And I use bird song intentionally in this class and the sense of time so that we are not only seeking with our mind and understanding. We have a very mm, educated in a linear way culture globally. A child could ask me, what will I do when it's cold? And I might say, well, you'll need to dress warmly because there won't be any heat where we'll be staying. And he or she or they might ask me, well, what will I do if I get cold? I'll say, well, we have to keep ourselves warm with our clothing. We'll light a fire in the wood stove, but it'll take several hours for the cabin to become warm. We'll eat food that we'll cook on the wood stove, but we will have to monitor how to not be too cold. And so a child who's never been in deep cold is astonished at what it is to be cold for four hours, one day, and not be able to simply turn on a switch of a machine which will render comfort so that their mind is not irritated with whatever in their life is not sophisticated enough yet. A future based on that comfort is not real. We can't turn on a switch about the ocean, the atmosphere, one another, and just say, let me use up the whole earth. You don't mind, do you? Eternity in my heart, meeting this present moment, is not directed toward the switch bringing comfort. It's not at war with the part of another human being who is demanding that tantrum of comfort. It's resonant with the dinosaurs which left us and the birds which then came. According to how much we behave in a way that is not attuned to eternity and the bird song and the light present on this day, 
and the hearts and cells of one another, according to that equation, that conversation of harmonic with heaven, that will be the destiny of our future as a civilization called human being. I'm not disturbed, but I find all around me there is storm in this disturbing tantrum of the human race. So, in the way that I was taught, I am imparting this concept of light and sound so that we can look and listen with the still point of eternity in our hearts at this moment, the still point of eternity in our hearts and souls at every moment in which we are privileged to call our lives. And together we can seek and find the way forward from our history into an answer from heaven to earth through us all for the sake of the polar bears, the whales, the sequoias, the grasses, the flowers, the animals, and the human beings. I turn to the sense of how light and sound move through us, <clears throat> and I contemplated the last day. I wonder what it was like when early human beings heard birds I imagine that is how we began to sing, replicating a lullaby as we heard a pair of birds going to a nest to feed their young. I imagine an early human being or a pair of human beings found a way to give voice, crooning, lullabying to their baby. I imagine people practiced the sense of rhythms and melodies based upon birdsong. I wondered if maybe we wouldn't know how to sing if there weren't birds. It may not be so much that we are musicians as we are good kin to the bird kingdom. We are relations to the birds. All my relations, I'm a Takwios in the old <clears throat> tribal saying from the Plains Indians tribes of North America. So the music within us, the equation of sound manifest in us, is not frightening. It's a splendid, resonant answer back to heaven, grace embodied, not war. Melody, song, music. We don't pick up weapons and kill one another. We play instruments or raise our voices together and form ensembles as duos or quartets or small groups or orchestras. And we form little languages of society. And we express those societies to one another this form of music, and that form. And we are able to receive the sound, the note of music, and something in our heart and soul is able to listen and allow, perceive the person performing this, his or her body, their body, what they're wearing, the instrument they're playing, or 
their own voice, the expressions on their face as they sing. All different kinds of training, from a folk singer to a jazz singer to an opera singer. And we move in different emotions and sentiments, but none of them become warfare. Rather, they move us to enter life in that next dawn or that next dusk according to what has been responsive in us to the inner voice of that singer or that musician. What a gift. Truly, this is a heaven on earth, this aspect of humankind. The same is true in the poet. The poet may come forward with his or her or their voice and bring to us a song of songs of the lyrics they have perceived through their body with what the cells of their body have understood or expressed that day or that night. And so we are bringing together the qualities of light and sound. And this is at the very basis of the foundation of all of our world religions. Let there be light. Present in the Western faith traditions. In Hinduism, Ushas, the dawn, greets her father, Surya, in his chariot, the sun rising across the sky. That's how the Vedas begin. The oldest written language on the earth. Interesting. We were studying light from the very beginning of our understanding of ourselves as human beings. And then we brought sound to this through instruments or our voices, and then through our pen, writing it down, or voice to voice in oral traditions, reciting this so that a grandson, a great granddaughter would remember. This is what they say. Om Mani Padmi Hum. And then over and over we might say a mantram that the lotus blossom within our soul awaken in the dawn light to full blossom and in you and in you and in all beings. Till every day there are probably a billion people across the earth who intentionally pray that particular mantra for world peace and for you and for me and for themselves. Songbirds saffron robes, burnt orange robes, crimson garnet-colored robes, just like finches. How splendid, how beautiful, how beyond warfare. So I'm going to take us to the poet's voice today, and I would like you to include a sense of music within yourself as you move through this chorus and after so that you allow there to be the listening to or the receiving of musical notes in your life to jar you out of places where you are argumentative, angry, reactive, part of the cancel culture. So that you let sound move through you. Waves of a lullaby of God through the harp, the fiddle, 
the electric guitar, your own humming, the remembrance of your grandmother singing, your grandfather whistling, allowing sound to move through you as a language of peace, a language of a harmonic of God moving through everything you are so that it resolves everything you have been, everything any human being has been, so that eternity as that still point in your heart of hearts meets the present moment and you face eternity toward the future. In this is the peaceful, tranquil ability to receive grace as your pathway. Supple, vibrant, content, so that you are turned to the holy from which you come. And yet you are humble and real in prayer and practice. Then the light of every dawn and the beautiful sunset into the darkness of every night becomes your home on earth from which you live in gratitude and blessing every moment, every moment of your life. So in poetry, <clears throat> it is important for one to find a word or a phrase that comes naturally from your own heart and soul. You may find that this is organic for you, or you may want to turn to the words of other beings. But as you let light and sound move through you, you could let the poetry just be the bird song. And then note if there is something beautiful or inspiring that arises. Many times when you're moving in this creative way, you'll find that what arises are the angry words, forbidden words, that which should not be said, or negative qualities where you think, I have hostile emotion toward other people or myself or something. And that catharsis is often what is veiling your own inner voice. The poet is not allowed to come forward. Your path is not allowed. You're afraid warfare is waiting for you out there. And so this song of songs can go a whole lifetime and never really come forward in you. And I think it's time on the earth for this part of us to be recognized and spoken of and permitted and encouraged and beautifully sought and beautifully represented and embodied for each being and for the sake of us all. If we go back historically, <clears throat> I mentioned All Quiet on the Western Front and how the wonderful character named Paul, who is really the figure of Eric von Remark writing about himself. He comes back from the war and writes about himself partly to honor and represent all of the men who've mentored him, the men who've survived, the men who've been lost, and the women who were not present in the armies at that time out on the front, but they were present, of course, at home, waiting or dying behind the scenes in the battles, yet not on the front line. So he writes the figure of himself for the sake of us all. And of course, it's been made into a recent very serious movie. So I <clears throat> mentioned how when I was about 11 years old, I read the book 
And I was astonished because the still point of eternity in me answered that book. And I was aware that the book was so much older than myself in terms of wisdom, purpose, experience. And yet all around me from heaven, I could experience the dimension of the clear light of God having had me find that book. It was so powerful, I was no longer a child. I was in a conscience, a conscience of, of von Remark. I was in his conscience, blessed by what he had undergone. And I understood that what I was listening to was the lack of birdsong all around him in the cemeteries, in the fields of death, the mustard gas. I was aware, oh, all the songs of those Millions of men are not here on the earth. Oh, I'm not to do that. How? 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 So the poet's voice somehow is allowed in all of our cultures around the world. Not the voice of every poet, but the poet's voice itself. We seem to be able to feel in it the same quality we allow in music and in birdsong. So if you could be present with allowing the poet's voice of yourself to be at peace in your heart of hearts, to begin its conversation within you and toward the divine, that you go beyond the violence of how we learn our lessons historically through warfare, famine, great tragedies and losses. We would tend to construct learning through something horrific until we decided enough of that. Okay, I, I think I'll do my homework now. And we would build to tension. We still go through this in couples divorcing and parents admonishing children and children tricking their parents and one will think, why do we have to do it that way? The answer is, we don't. But because we have free will, we often choose the lesser path. I think I'll hate you now. I think I'll do this. What do you think of that? And if it's violent, it's really archaic. It's just taking the next polar bear. No matter what you say about yourself, you're the one killing the polar bears. No matter what you say about yourself, you're the ones bleaching the coral reef. So we either do this or we watch our home, which is the earth, begin to fall away from us as we lose the privilege of living upon her. So for me, I would like to continue living upon her as an elder, setting an example for every baby being born on this earth who is human beside every polar bear and tree and coral and mountain, that we find our way with God singing to us through our hearts and souls, that we embody the poet as our life. Who are you as a poet and your son and your granddaughter? And who are you 
here beside your mate, your spouse, your husband, your wife, your neighbor, your sibling, your parent. How lovely to meet you. How serious to meet you. Please put the gun down. And you put the gun down. Poet to poet, how shall we embody this sound and light until our hearts become songs of the birds of heaven on earth, the human race? Anna Akhmatova, or Anna Akhmatova, grew up in the St. Petersburg area of Russia, and she came from a family which was Ukrainian and Russian. She's buried just north of the city. I've never visited her grave, but I have visited her apartment and taken a group of people to it who went with me about 12 years ago to Russia, up through the Baltics and into Russia. And when I contemplated, I've spoken of this before, when I contemplated where to take them that would touch the way that I know that region, I thought, well, we could go to Anna Akhmatova's home, her, her apartment, which is now a museum, and I investigated to find out if it was possible to visit. I had never been there. I just knew about it. And we were able to go. It was a very deep experience to be in a place where she had lived. And I'll make several points about her today, and then we'll speak of her a few times throughout this course as a strong example. She came into the world in a way that was peaceful, and yet in her family, she had great loss. As I said yesterday, her husband was killed by the Soviets. Her son was imprisoned. She's a descendant of Genghis Khan. She's a descendant of the aristocracy of Russia. She's a descendant of the aristocracy of the Ukraine. You cannot divide her by border. And so she would come through one year of her life and be heralded as this great beauty and painted by Modigliani. And then she would be disdained as too modern in her thinking. And then she would be praised again as so fascinating and brilliant. And then she would be disdained again as too transformative of a human being. She's one of the few people I know of who somehow stayed with this quality of the still point of eternity. And she had the courage to witness what was going on around her without entering warfare. I don't mean that she was a perfect human being. None of us are. But her direction remained the poet's direction. Remained the poet's direction. She met the late Joseph Brodsky when he was a young man. They met on a trolley in St. Petersburg and had an astonishing meeting. She remained a mentor to him all of his days, even after her death. She was this consummate figure of the internal mentor for him who had given a permission to him to risk what we're speaking of in this course. And Joseph is one of the great privileges of my life. It's very hard to speak about him in words. One cannot define a human being who has embodied to the best of his or her ability or their ability the heroism of their real path.
So Anna Akhmadova, when she met Brodsky, he risked telling her about a dream. I'm going to read you a passage from a book. <clears throat> this is a book called Remembering Anna Akhmadova. It's by Anatoly Neyman. And Brodsky writes the, the um, forward to the book. And he says, One night I had a dream. Suddenly, in an instant, a high white Leningrad ceiling above my head became swollen with blood. And then a scarlet river cascaded down on me. A few hours later, I met Akhmadova. I could not get rid of the memory of this. And I told her about it. Not bad, she responded. Generally, the most boring thing in the world is other people's dreams and other people's lechery. But you deserve to hear mine. I had my dream on the night of the 30th of September to the 1st of October. And then Akhmadova tells him, There had been a universal catastrophe, and I was standing alone, quite alone, on the ground, in the slush, in the mud. I was slipping. I couldn't stand my feet. The ground was being washed away. And from somewhere above me, spreading out as it approached and becoming more and more menacing, came a torrent in which all of the great rivers of the world the Nile, the Ganges, the Volga, the Mississippi had come together. That was all I needed. These two beings who live their lives in deep courage are always in my awareness. I feel as if they are saints or sages, this day after All Saints Day, who've gone before us, to prepare a way in the wilderness. It's a phrase used about John the Baptist, the first cousin of Jesus, helping prepare a way for him. And I feel that the voice of these poets gives us a resonance again to the bird song of our destiny, and that we are not to be frightened, but we are to caretake that there is not too much famine, that there is not warfare, but more the bird song of the poetry in the cells of our lives, living as a civilization together. So let me end for today's segment with a poem by Akhmadova. A land not mine, still, however memorable, like waters of its ocean, chill and fresh. Sand on the bottom, whiter than chalk, and the air drunk like wine. Late sun lays bare the rosy limbs of the pine trees. Sunset in the ethereal waves. I cannot tell if the day is ending or the world, or if the secret of secrets is inside me again. That's translated by Jane Kenyon from the Russian. Have a beautiful day in the light and sound of the bird song of your heart, in the eternity and mysterious grace of God, of the universe.